It is good to be with you. We continue in our sermon series this week on a place in this world. I hope you'll be able to see what's going on here with the arc that we're taking through Scripture from the Deuteronomistic history and, and, and Samuel and Kings through Lamentations and the exile last, last week and now uh, here in Malachi, which is post-exilic, uh, about 450 BC. And so we're going this way. And Pastor Angela is going to preach next week. And guess what? She's going to be in the Gospels. She's going to be in Luke. And that's how we'll, we'll finish out the, the series through that arc. The other thing I hope you're seeing is the, the different characters that we're attending to along the way um, that, you know, we had with the, uh, David's brothers in, uh, in 2 Samuel, the afterthoughts, those that had been uh, con- you know, considered separate because they're not David. Uh, then again, you had in, um, in Second Kings, you had Naaman who had an affliction. He was twisted up. He had leprosy, but he was really needing to let his guard down. He needed to be vulnerable. Last week, we were in Lamentations. How lonely sits the city? Uh, it, it was about mourning and how those that are in mourning have a difficult time finding their place in the world. And today, we are, we are uh, well, we're thinking about those that are doubting and those that remain unconvinced. And can they find their place in the world here in a worshiping community at a church? How difficult that is sometimes when it seems like God is far away. So let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe and believing obey. Amen. So I took Lucy to the playground the other day. Lucy's four years old. I took her to the playground. She likes when we go to the playground for me to trail along behind her very closely. She never wants me far away from her at the playground. This is the same Lucy, yes, that when I hugged her the other day, when I I pulled her close, I said, my little Lucy. And she said, I'm not little, I'm four. He's four. Little or not, she likes me close. And so there on the playground, I followed her closely. There weren't many other dads there. In fact, one small boy pointed at me on the playground and he said to his mom, look, there's a dad. (laughs) As if I was an endangered species. Makes me think there are more dads that need to be taking their children to the playground. But at one point, Lucy climbed underneath the play structure to get to a slide, and she climbed up on that slide, and she peeked behind her to make sure that I was still there, and I was, but I couldn't scoot underneath that play structure because those days are long gone. So I walked around the structure to meet her on the other side when she would 
uh, you know, get off on the foot of the slide. And when I got there, she'd already left the foot of the slide and she'd begun to run around the playground. And now she was looking for me. And she was looking for me with panic. And, and I could see the quiver on her chin from, from where I was. And I, I could see her, but she couldn't see me. Have you ever felt that way with God? Where it seems like, okay, maybe you can see me, God. But I can't see you. And you want him close. Even if you want everyone else to think you're not little, that you're big, you're four. You want him close. You want God close. But you've ridden the slide and he's nowhere to be found. And when you realize that, a quiver comes to your chin. Maybe he can see you, but you can't see him and that's no good. There are a lot of people out there like that. They figure God has given up on them. And they have serious doubts about all this, just to tell you the truth. They have serious doubts about all this that we call church. And the church is the last place in the world that they would find a place in this world. I'm thinking about what's going on with the community in, in, that Malachi is writing to. You might remember last Sunday we were in Lamentations and that text being born from a period of exile. We were, we were thinking about those who were in a, a time of mourning and the text cried out, how lonely sits the city. And today though, we are after the exile. So they've come home. It's about year 450. They're back home from the exile. And you would think that everyone would be happy. Back to their homes and gardens, reestablishing old stomping grounds, a new temple to worship in. They should be happy, but they're not. The book of Malachi is Hebrew for what? Malachi is Hebrew for messenger. And Malachi has a message, a message of condemnation for their worship, which is listless, and for their prayers, which are lip service. They really need Mr. Tom to come and get them to, to sing. Because, you know, they thought it would be better. They're back and they thought it would be better. They thought more people would be coming to church. They thought the crops would be ample. They thought everyone would just get along. Maybe they even thought there would be a parade to welcome them after the exile. They'd just been on the slide. And now they're looking around wondering, is God even here? Once I knew this woman. She was... Uh, she came running into my office and... She was crying. She had cancer and she knew she was gonna die. She just knew it and she wanted to plan her funeral that day. We talked for a little while, we prayed together and I told her that someday we would plan her funeral but it was not going to be that day. 
and we were going to stay hopeful. And she left, and she left with hope in her heart. And you know, it strikes me that we church folks are pretty good with other church, church folks that speak our language. We do pretty well with those who are our church community when they are ready to give up on God. But once I knew this girl, she was 16. She told me that she'd had an abortion and didn't think she could live with herself. What do we do with her? Once I knew this man, he was a husband and a father of two young children. His wife found out that he was a longtime drug addict. What do we do with him? I knew another man whose father died and he, and he couldn't stop drinking. What do we do with him? Once I knew these parents, they looked just like many of you, except their son was in prison. They were desperate. Once I knew this woman whose husband was leaving her. It seems to me that as a church, churches don't do as well with these folks. If you're sick and you have cancer and you're a member of a church and you want to come see your pastor, we do pretty well. But when, when you're on the outside and you don't feel like you have a place in the world on the inside, we have a tougher time with these folks. It seems to me we don't do as well because some church people still think the church is no place for people with regrets or addictions or a criminal past or a broken family. I guess those folks just haven't read their Bibles or, or made a mistake or are so ashamed of the mistakes and I think this is more what it is. They're so ashamed of the mistakes that they've made in their own lives that they overreact to everyone else's difficulties to try to avoid facing their own. See, I was preparing for this sermon when I met the, the woman whose husband was leaving her and I, I told her about Malachi and how even though it was a difficult message for those that wondered if God was giving up on them, it begins so beautifully. Did you hear how the book of Malachi begins? I have loved you, says the Lord. I told her it's going to be a sermon about how as ready as we might be to give up on God, God refuses to give up on us. She lowered her head and began to tear up. I'm worried though, I told her, because I feel like it's the same sermon I preach every week. And I don't want to be redundant. And she looked at me with these steely eyes. She said, you need to preach that sermon every week. People come to church to be reminded that something matters in life. You don't know what people have going on. They go through their week and the worst things happen or all these meaningless things happen and they can't start being who they want to be. And they go to church to hear someone say that their life matters. To keep going. 
Don't give up. So you better preach that every week, she said. Although she didn't say it so demonstrably. So here goes. I have loved you, says the Lord. Ah, those words are for you. And what do we say to him? Say the same thing that they said in Malachi. Well, how have you loved us? That's the next line. I have loved you, says the Lord. How have you loved us? I have loved Jacob. You love Jacob? Yes, Jacob. But Jacob was a liar. He lied to his own father. I have loved Jacob. But Jacob was a thief. He lied. He stole from his own brother, Esau. I have loved Jacob. But Jacob was a no good husband. He left his wife for her sister. I have loved him. He was a terrible father. He overtly favored one son over all the others. I have loved Jacob. And Jacob failed to believe he wrestled with you in the night. I have loved Jacob. I have loved you, says the Lord. If the first few verses of Malachi tell us anything, it's this. There's hope for us. Even those of us that are having a very difficult time believing that God is still around or wants to have anything to do with us, we can, like Jacob, be wrong about how we love. We can be wrong about how we love our mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. We often are wrong about how we love our sons and daughters. We're often wrong about how we love God. But we must stop being wrong about how God loves us. God loves us with an unimaginable perseverance. Even if sometimes we are stubborn and so difficult to convince. Are you one of those people? One sitting back just now, so difficult to convince. Resistant to hearing and taking in these words. How I have loved you. Prove it. A while back, I attended a friend's church. He is also a minister, and he asked if I would help with the service. I was happy to help. And after the service, a man approached me, and I could tell that he had constructive criticism for me. You can just see it coming. On the one hand, I was surprised by this because I'd never met him before. But on the other hand, this was church. <laughs> I want to talk to you about the children's sermon. Okay. And then he began to talk and he went on about how awful the children's sermon was. And I tried to interrupt him several times, but he wouldn't stop talking. I didn't want to tell them that I disagreed with him. Though I did, it didn't, I didn't want to tell him how inappropriate it was to accost a visiting preacher, though it was. 
I wanted to tell him that I didn't even do the children's sermon. <laughs> which was true. I led the prayer of confession and the assurance of pardon. I read two things in the service. So, someone else, a member of the congregation, led the children's sermon. And when he finally came up for air long enough for me to tell him that, he was completely indignant. Even with the truth staring him right in the face, he huffed off with his mouth open as if I'd done something to him. <laughs> completely unconvinced. We can be like that at church. Close ourselves off to the truth. And today's truth is so beautiful. How I have, please don't close yourself off to it. Please. Please open yourself up to hearing it. Those people were in an exile. They hurt so bad for so long. You can see why maybe they couldn't hear what is being said here in Malachi. Please don't close yourself off to it. How I have loved you, says the Lord. I imagine that community that read Malachi, they remained unconvinced after reading that line, after hearing that word. Years went by, I bet, and they remained unconvinced. I hope years don't go by for you. Decades went by and they remained unconvinced. Centuries went by and they remained unconvinced. And then something happened. You know what it took for Lucy to know that I was there? It took me running around the structure, coming to her. Coming to her. Because I'd been seeing her for the whole time. I had to come to her though. And I lifted her and I held her to my chest. That's what it took for her to know I was there. And that's what God did on a cosmic level. After all those centuries, we find it in the next moment that we turn from the last page of Malachi and find there on the next page of the Bible, on the first page of Matthew, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Life matters, and you are loved. Life matters so much that God brought love to life. Matters so much that God embraced life itself and experienced it. It matters so much that he took on the worst of life, the heartache of dying and the darkness of the tomb, to make life eternal. And then when it seemed like he'd given up on life, he came back to it once and for all to convince those at risk of giving up on God, of giving in to the darkness, to believe what he's been saying all along. Believe it. I have loved you, says the Lord. 
Amen.